Blog Talk Radio. Just 
what, one day after the blockbuster almost mega hit, Straight Outta Compton has been released. We're going to talk about that for just a little bit on the show because I heard like in six hours it made $50 million. $50 million. Think about that. Well, our topic for today's show is not that. Actually, our topic is Jeb Bush visits North Las Vegas. And then that brought up another question, and that is, is there a leadership void in the African-American community? So we're going to talk about Bush visits and is there a leadership void in the African-American community? And I hope that you all are listening in and will tell a friend and call in and share a comment or ask a question. The phone number is area code 347-826-9600, 347-826-9600. You can call in and listen to the show, or you can call in, listen, and comment. And if you would like to comment, press the one on your keypad and That will let our engineer know that you want to chat, and then we'll try to bring you into the conversation as soon as we can. Once again, that's 347-826-9600 just to listen. And if you want to comment or question, pose a question, you can press option one on your keypad, and we will get to you as soon as we can. My name is Rodney Smith. Uh, My co-host, Mrs. Angela Thomas, hopefully will be joining us shortly. And we're going to sort of explore this today. I don't know if this will be a long show today, but I guess that also depends on what you all have to say. A little bit more information about Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live is a radio show featuring people and stories from our community in Las Vegas, the surrounding area, and someplace near you. America is the greatest country on earth due to its cultural diversity and not in spite of it. Our mission is to help bridge the culture and ethnic divide in America by working together to build the greatest bridge in history to unite us. And Our Own Voices Live, the radio show, is one of the ways that we go about doing it. We also have Our Own Voices on video, so go to our YouTube channel. Of course, Our Own Voices, we're on Twitter, Our Own Voices. We're on Facebook, Our Own Voices and Our Own Voices Live. And go check out our page, What Do Black People Want? The Black Agenda because that's very appropriate to the discussion that we're having today. What do we want? Do we know what we want? Can we articulate that to someone else so that we can then hold them accountable? Yes. We want to get into all of that, and hopefully you will help me do that, because these are important topics. Uh, Not only do we have the social media platforms going on, we have ourownvoices.com, but we also have... Our Own Voices, the print magazine that has also gone digital. And that's what really started this all. And Our Own Voices, the print magazine, was a way to educate ourselves about ourselves, educate others about us, but also to educate us about those other folks out there. How much do we know about them? How much do we know about ourselves? And how much do they know about us? I think it's critically important that we expand the knowledge of self and also expand the knowledge of others of us. Sometimes I think that the reason why we're treated the way that we're treated is because people don't know who we really are. And all they have is a bunch of myths, 
biases, prejudices, and that is representative of us to them. So Our Own Voices, the magazine, Our Own Voices, the digital magazine, and now Our Own Voices Live is hopefully a vehicle to help take us away from where we are to someplace much better. And really it's thanks to you uh, that we're able to do this. Thank you to all of our 100,000-plus listeners out there. Uh, that lets me know that folks are actually listening, and I am not talking to myself because I can do that all by myself. So thank you so much for for joining us. Did uh, oh, excuse me, not proud. I want to anoint him already. We've had so many bushes, uh, but the older brother of the last president, and this is Jeb Bush, visited North Las Vegas this week, and he went to one of the Urban League community centers, the Dr. William U. Pearson Community Center, to have a town hall that was sort of built as outreach to minorities and to black people. And, well, I tried to post some pictures because I wanted you to see who was there and then maybe from that assess how effective you think his outreach was, but really just to kind of share your opinion on the whole event. And I know there's some people who are staunch Democrats say, well, why are we talking about a Republican? Well, here's the thing. We will have probably a Republican or a Democrat as our next president. And if it is not a Democrat, as most people are, do we want that Republican to do anything for us? Or do we just sort of take a seat for the next four years until we get a chance to go again? Well, here's my belief on taking that seat. And that is there is no tomorrow after this election for black people. That's that simple. 2020, there will be redistricting. And we've already seen the impact of redistricting. In 2020, obviously, that there'll be no President Obama. Regardless of what you may think, he is still an image. And also, in 2020, we're expecting there to still be a Republican-controlled Congress, both houses, Congress and the Senate, House of Representatives and the Senate. We also anticipate that locally in Nevada that both houses, the Assembly, the Senate, as well as the governorship, will be controlled by Republicans. Well, if we do not dialogue with those Republicans that for sure we know will be in power, then how will we get anything? Our president, our current president, gave us a cue. When he was running for office, he said that he would talk to anyone that was willing to talk to him because how can you expect to pass a message or receive a message or to get anything done if you don't talk with people, including our enemies? So those of you who are staunch Democrats who say, why should I talk to the Republicans? Well, let's face it. They will be republic. They will be the president, whoever it is, be a Democrat or a Republican, will be the president of us all. Congress will represent us all. You know, Donald Trump said something that really grabbed my ear, and Donald Trump said, "Yeah, I gave money. I gave money to all of them. I gave money to everybody. I gave money to Hillary. I gave money to Rand Paul. I gave." He just said, "I gave money." He says, "Why? Because when I give them money." And I want something. 
I tell them, and then they're there for me. And he used an analogy of, yeah, I gave Hillary Clinton $100,000. I wanted her to be to my wedding, so I called and told her to be to my wedding, and she was there. That's what I got. Now, some people might say that's a frivolous expense of hundred grand, But I guess if you have $10 billion, what is hundred grand? That's not even a penny. That's like a German penny, one hundredth of a penny. So what do we get, though? As someone says, well, Rodney, don't worry about if it's the Republicans because we're going to get a Democrat. And I said, but what if we don't get a Democrat? And I said, and, and let's face it, even if we do get a Democrat, I said, let's, let's look at this thing historically because unemployment for black people is still twice of what it is for the majority population, whether it is a Republican or a Democrat. Do we need to change our messaging? Do we have a message? Do we have something that we can tell someone and then give them our vote because they said that they will bring it to fruition and hold them accountable one way or the other? 347-826-9600, 347-826-9600. We'd love to hear from you all and what you have to say. And we have one call on the line. Let's bring them on. Good afternoon, caller. Welcome to Our Own Voices Live. Our topic today is Jeff Bush visits North Las Vegas, and is there a leadership void in the African-American community? What do you have to say? Rodney, are you talking to me? Yes, sir. Hey, how you doing? Rodney, it's been about two years when I called in. My name's Andreas Fulcher. Do you remember me? Oh, yes, we sir. I sure to, do. We kind of crossed paths on Facebook a little bit, but... You know what I love about you? I want to answer your question in a second, but what I love about you, Rodney, is you approach this this political and highly sensitive uh, subject of race so smartly. You know, you're able to tread both. Like you're not, uh, you know, a staunch, angry black Democrat, you know, badgering George Bush. You just know how to walk the fine line. You do it well, Rodney, and I commend you for that. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I I asked myself, uh, you know, we haven't talked since uh, we desecrated the city and started to desecrate Baltimore, but we desecrated Ferguson. We haven't talked since then. And, you know, uh, Rodney, I want to kind of get your, get your view on this, but obviously you and me are talking about Jeb Bush, which I want to talk about that too, definitely. But I'm gonna, when I'm done with Jeb Bush, I'm, I'm going to throw it at you. Well, I want you to to uh, think, uh, do you agree with a white woman one time said, and she, you know, since she's right, she said blacks have just set themselves back 60 years by what they did in Ferguson. And in a sense, yeah, I mean, from an open standpoint, I, I kind of agree. But you know what, Rodney? You know what? The neat thing about white people is they still will judge you by you. They don't judge you by the shenanigans of other blacks. That's how Obama got voted in. Obama got voted in because the, the, the white people have turned the page on race. They say, we're going to vote him in because, my God, that guy, he can speak, he is articulate, and he makes sense. And that's what I heard from so many uh, executive whites that turned from Republican to Democrat when Obama got voted in. So I think that, I, I think that you know, that we, we should embrace the involvement uh, of, of, of America the fact that Martin Luther, in my opinion, Martin Luther King's dream day has come true. Because when I applied for my credit card, they didn't, they didn't ask me about race. They didn't ask me my uh, educational level. And uh, I don't have a degree. And 
I'm black, and I got my first three $5,000 credit cards in the span of a, a year and a half from back in 95, 96, and then I went self-employed at the end of 96 after a year of experience in construction because I leveraged my credit cards uh, that made me helped me to do millions of dollars in, uh, in revenue. Okay, that being said, now let's go back to Jeb Bush. Um, I mean, I like, I have a kind of an affinity for Jeb Bush. I don't know him that well, uh, Ronnie, I have to say, but I want to say this. Um, you know, blacks down here in the South, in the Dallas area, that's where I'm from, they love, they love the badge of George Bush. Oh, you don't care about blacks. They want to jump on the Kahani West bandwagon. Let's see, uh, Belfonte and Farrakhan both said George Bush is a terrorist. George Bush is nothing of the such. You know, what it is is Satan continues to work through us to try to point, just point out the awfulness of people that are noble. George Bush, one thing about him, notice no scandals, no womanizing scandals, no pinching uh, his, uh, his interns butts, nothing the guy and he handled Katrina. Well, first of all, nine one one. Oh my goodness, man! If I would have been president, I would have jumped off as soon as my four years are up. And then he had to take on Katrina. And guess what? We're still around. Things have got worse, but they got they got good again, and, and then they got worse again. But I, I think that Jeb Bush is 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 a noble person, and I know that he's not a racist, just like George Bush isn't. And uh, George Bush, by the way, and I said, you may know this, Rodney, I don't know, but he invited me to his dinner in 04 after I received the 2003 Texas Business Fan of the Year Award by the NRCC. And at, my, uh, at his dinner, there's a congressman giving me a, 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 a poke call, making me an honorary chairman of the NRCC. And I still have a degree, and I'm still black. So I think we need to just enjoy the fact that we can do anything that anybody else in this country can do to our own reconnaissance. That's my opinion. Now, I, you know, I don't know. I'm sure I'll get charged up for a lot of, but you know what? You know what we do, though, Rodney, and you've heard this many times. We go back to slavery to try to accommodate our social impotence, in a sense. I mean, and I know that's very intensive to say it like that, but we need to stop going back to slavery to try to explain away. I think we got, yeah, we got spiritual issues. Yeah, that's true. I don't know if slavery was the cause of that, but our issues are our issues. They're godlessness at times, for the most part, I think. I don't think slavery has so much to do with that. I don't think the fact that you're in grandma. By the way, my father, my grandfather was in the Holocaust. <laughs> I'm biracial. My father, my grandfather was in the resistance. He knew that Hitler was no good, and he suffered for about three or four years uh, when tortured in, in the Holocaust. So I've got slavery on one side, I've got the Holocaust on the other side, and guess what? I've forgiven the Nazis that tortured them. I've forgiven the whites that tortured the, the people on the black side, because you have to forgive. If you don't forgive and you keep bringing it up, bringing it up, bringing it up, no, don't, don't bring it up when you're applying for that credit card. Don't bring it up when you're applying for that car, that automobile. If your credit's good, people want to deal with you. Bottom line. Okay, I'm done. Go. Well, <laughs> and, Andreas, thank you so much for the call, but I do have a couple of questions for you. And you said that okay. your uh, some ancestors were uh, part of the Holocaust. Well, one of the yep. things that the uh, Jewish community says is never forget. Uh, they didn't say don't forgive, but they, did, they said never for, forget. 
And sometimes <laughs> when we comment about slavery, we uh-huh. and especially when we reference it to the Holocaust, we seem mm-hmm. to not mention that part, is that even yeah. the Jews said that we should not forget. I don't think we should and, forgive, forgive. I mean, forget, forget. I, because, you know, obviously you, you can't forget it because you – you have to use that as a, you know, as, as a, you know, as a lesson. I mean, we we can't let something like that happen again. So we keep that, you know, in, in mind. But you have to forgive, and I think you know that, right, too. So you know that, right? You have to so forgive. Say that again, Andreas, we have to, Andreas, forgive. Repeat that, you have to say forgive. It again. You have to forgive. You don't have to forget. I don't think you have to forget either, Rodney. But you have to forgive. So let's say that because let's say that folks have forgiven. Now everybody doesn't do everything. Very seldom is it every or all, but there can still be a large percentage. So yeah, that's it. And so I don't know who has forgiven and who hasn't, but I do know that even for the Jewish folks, since we have to oftentimes justify our actions by what other people have done. So mm-hmm. I'll I'll do that now. So even the Jewish folks said, let's not forget. And we have a saying here is that when you fail to learn and understand and remember your history, you're bound to repeat it. So with that being sort of the foundation of keeping slavery there, as an example, you said we turned the corner. But some people would argue and say, no, we haven't turned the corner. There is no corner to turn. Uh, and, and an example of that was uh, – I believe his name is Holmes, was just sentenced, I think it was either this week or last week, to life imprisonment for shooting up and killing people in a movie theater in Colorado. Uh, This this week, there was another person who shot up a theater who happened to be white also. Uh, The week before that, there was a person in the South who shot up a theater, and they they were all white. Now, this week... Mm -hmm. The movie Straight Out of Compton debuted, I believe it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And one of the things locally that happened, and, and in some other theaters I hear too, police said that they had to check people's bags before going into the theater to watch the movie to ensure yeah. that they didn't bring any guns and there would be any unrest because mm-hmm. Of a expectation that black people would come in and there's this rap movie and there's going to be violence. But yeah. after each of those incidents that I just mentioned, the uh-huh. one in Colorado, uh, actually I think it was two in Colorado, and the one in, I want to say South Carolina, there was uh-huh. no police presence there to inspect the white people's bags as they went in to watch whatever movie they were going to watch. So on the outside, people would say something about that same ballot. Mm -hmm. And then they could go down a litany of things very similar to that. Uh, We could also go, you mentioned Ferguson. Well, one of the things that happened in Ferguson is we had the Oak, or I guess they're still there, the Oak Keepers came in and said that they were, and it was a bunch of white men with guns, uh, black vests. Uh, basically, they looked like they were a paramilitary force. 
and they were brandishing uh-huh. their weapons in public. Now, from best we know, they were it was okay for them to carry a weapon. They didn't violate any law. But it was the fact that these men were able to come into this town and, uh-huh. and in this particular area, primary black area, and brandish mm-hmm. their weapons and were not accosted, were not even confronted by law enforcement. Yeah. We can also tell you stories that if a black man, and, and I can carry a weapon, but when I go uh-huh. out with my weapon, I am quickly, quickly contacted by law enforcement who received an anonymous call from someone uh-huh. that there's a black man with a yeah. gun. Now, yeah. do you see how that could be construed as there's a bias and there's an undue uh, law enforcement uh, contact with African Americans, possibly? You know what I like what you just said, though? What you, you just said, what I really like is you said the bias. A bias. I was in a meeting about uh, two months ago. They have a forum every every year. They started about three years ago. It's called What Does Color Have to Do With It? When a white guy got down there, he's down the city of Dallas, and a white man, he's a professional businessman, he said, you know, you know, it's just not racism anymore. It, it, it's a bias. And I jumped out of my seat, Rodney, because I truly believe that. I mean, we we developed a bias against us, Rodney. You, it's it's unfortunate, yes. People are more uh, more timid against us that they're scared than us and anybody else because we kill people. I mean, we do. I mean, we have the more propensity to kill people. Statistics show we kill more people per capita than any other race and ethnicity in the country. Uh, we kill each other. I mean, we we it's ridiculous, and we. We're, we're, I mean, people are scared of us because we're very unpredictable. I mean, the guy who cut off the head of the, his boss there in, in Oklahoma City a couple of years ago, black guy, you know, he was part of the, some kind of Muslim thing. But he, he was he was hired even though he had a bad record. They knew he had a bad track record, you know. Normally, most people wouldn't hire him. They hired him, took a chance on him, and he ended up de- cutting his boss's head, the white lady's boss, head off. I mean, we are just uh, irrational. We, we're unpredictable, and that's what makes makes people scared of us. And so, yeah, there is a bias against you. And you know, it's so not now, really you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Andreas, let's let's go back to this bias though, because you said <laughs> we are we are unpredictable, and that we kill people. Now, yeah. at the beginning, I did mention how. Uh, I don't remember his first the theater, name. The, the, theater shirt, the theater shirt. Oh, the theater shirt. The theater shooting. people in the theater. Most mass no. shootings, murders that happen in this country happen at the hands of white people. So but a black man just, things, just last, last week got convicted for killing eight people here in Dallas, in the Dallas area. Killing eight people <laughs> in a house. But, uh, I, mean, I didn't say that black people don't kill people, but your statement yeah. was that black people were unpredictable because we kill people. And what I just wanted to remind you and our listeners is that the majority, and when I say majority, the vast majority of all mass shootings, whether it's Sandy Hook, Virginia Tech, you name it, happen at the hands. You're if right. You go back if we go back and we look at whether it's crime in uh, Chicago, 
New York, Philadelphia, Jersey. Remember the mob, the mafia? They're Italian. Yeah. They, they're classified as white people. And yeah. they murdered people um, Bloody Sunday. And we could go down the list of murders that happened at the hands of organized crime syndicates. Uh, we could talk about the politicians that they've murdered. So yeah. I guess I just want you to to take in your comment that you said that we're unpredictable. But you, but you have to remember, you have to remember this now. Look, look at, look at the numbers. Yes, okay. Those, those uh, mass killings uh, by the whites in the last three years total about what about eighty or sixty people that got killed. We, in the meantime, killed more whites and blacks per capita. Still, we killed more people. We're number one per capita. I mean, we we have an atrocious record for murder in this country. And, and it's, it's, just, but, uh, but Andreas, you said yeah. that we have an atrocious record for murder. I won't yeah. argue because I think murder is just bad, period. But let's not sort of ignore the fact that white people predominantly, the major, well, the facts say that the majority of people that white people kill are white people. Just like yeah. we say that black people have this black-on-black crime. Well, we yeah. like to say in that same sentence that the majority of people that white people kill are white people. The majority of crimes that white people perpetrate against other people are white people. If we look at yeah. the level of blue-collar crime that costs us hundreds of billions of dollars and in the housing industry that was done by white people cost us uh-huh. trillions of dollars, black people's crimes come nowhere close to the impact on our society as white people. Now, I don't want to get really into the one-upmanship of who is the worst. How about we just say this, that all crimes, all murders are bad, and that we should look at getting rid of it. But if we demonize one, then it sort of lets the other off the hook. If you look at Jeffrey Dahmer, I mean, we could, the, the Unabomber, you know, we could just go down the list of these white people but still, we've killed more since then. We've still killed more people, white people, and also than all those put together. You know, these are yeah, these are mass killings. But we continue to mass kill every day. We kill people constantly every day about other like races. No, let's not go. Let's not go around. No, no, blacks. No, 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 it's not blacks. No, blacks, dude. Blacks. I'm no, black. But don't white people kill people every day? Yeah, they do too. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And white people commit many other crimes. People commit mm-hmm. crimes. That's just a fact of life. I guess no. what I'm trying to say is when we pick out one and say, well, this is why they're afraid of you. Well, as a person from the South, the majority of people that were killing black people in the South at the time I grew up were white people, and I never saw another black person or heard of a black person hanging a black person. But I did know where the hanging tree was where I'm from in North Carolina. So I just want to make sure that we keep this thing of of who's killing who. Killing is bad, period, and we should be looking at getting rid of it. Because just like folks say, hey, when I see a black person wearing a hoodie, it frightens me. 
Well, guess what? Uh-huh. I see a white person wearing a baseball cap, especially when it has a tobacco leaf on it, because that's typically what our clan members wore back home. That's frightening uh-huh. me. Yeah. So there is, there yeah. is a, a certain level of disingenuousness, disingenuousness when we say that people are afraid of black people because we are unpredictable and because we kill a lot of people with every no, I, race. I, I, I don't know. Here. I guess mine, mine is a little biased for, for certain personal reasons. The fact that I'm going to give you an example. Uh, I don't think I think you know part of my story. I've, I've said on Facebook a few times the fact that I was working for a black uh, minister in O. He's an industry contractor out of Fort Worth, a guy named Lewis Johnson. And, you know, he called me up in early 02, um, Rodney. He called me up in early 02, and he said, uh, Andreas, um, I've seen you down at the city of Dallas. I've seen you do real well. Um, me and my brother, we're also in construction, and my brother does concrete. I'm wondering if you could help us uh, engage with this city and see if we can't work together to, to get a contract. You know, with them, and, and you know, I didn't mind. Rodney, by this time, I've got a dump truck that's about fifteen months away from being paid off. I've got a bobcat that's only five months away from being paid off. And you know, and I and I was a little flattered that he, uh, you know, flattered me with uh, noting my expertise because he was right. Between nineteen ninety eight and two thousand, my company, just with the city of Dallas alone, did over nine hundred thousand dollars with me in charge. And that, that's because I got a hard lesson in ninety seven. When a black engineer stitched me for two hundred twenty thousand dollars on a city of Dallas contract, so I got a kind of a hard—I say a hard lesson—because I knew what I was doing in '97. I knew I could do it myself, and the cool heads prevailed, and I kept the minimums of my max out credit cards paid, and I got my first surety bond at the age of 29 in 1998 to bid on my first uh, government job, which is a parking lot at Plano High School. But anyway, getting back to the black minister, I'm thinking I'm in good hands. You know, I'm. I'm de- I was kind of uh, uh, wary about working for another African-American. I hate to say it because of what happened to me in 97, but we'd done almost $2.5 million by by 2002, and um, he wanted me to help him. I did help him. I got him a contract. I used my expertise to to do a project on one of the main thoroughfares here in Dallas called Skillman Road. I don't know if you've ever been to Dallas, but Skillman Road is, is a pretty main uh, street. And I was 34 years old at the time. Uh, um, Rodney, he was about 57, 56, and I, I helped get the contract using my numbers. And uh, he, we submitted it. He's the general contractor. I'm the subcontractor, certified minority, and I got deadly ill at the end of '02, and I became incapacitated. And I had to seek home, home rest. My mother moved into my house in North Garland and tried to nurse me back to health. I was losing weight profusely. And I was unable to work, but I don't work in the field. I never have, uh, Rodney. If you shook my hands, you'd think uh, I'm lying when I say uh, I do work. Well, I would be lying if I told you I was out there pouring concrete myself. Yeah, but uh, anyway, what I'm saying is my guy did the job, and he acknowledged that. And this so-called minister, not only did he not pay me, and, and my brother noted, my brother is a West Point grad. He's between jobs. He noted that I will, my bills were piling up, and Viola, my wife, who was German, she never never paid bills before, so she had to learn how to write checks. And Marcel insisted I file bankruptcy because the money just wasn't coming in. And as it turns out, I got a fax. Uh, well, actually, uh, 
I decided I went and filed bankruptcy, so I lost my credit cards. And that was my kryptonite, by the way. I, I describe it as kryptonite, Rodney, because credit cards is what not only allowed me to overcome the hint of race when I showed a bonding company perfect credit with maxed out credit cards in 97, but also it allowed me to travel the world. <laughs> I mean, to go to Cambodia twice, you know, and buy for everybody at a dinner table when I was 33. But anyway, uh, check this out. I um, I saw the bankruptcy and was admitted to the hospital. I was in the hospital for 10 days, and they got me on the right medication. And come to find out, I'm still in business because we didn't file corporate bankruptcy. So I still have the company that generated millions of dollars. And then I got this wonderful thing called a website and where I've got my picture of me at George Bush's dinner in 04 getting an award. But... I got a fax one time from the city of Dallas as soon as I got out of the hospital, and it was a subcontractor payment compliance form. What that was, Rodney, it was a document that the so-called minister or contractor had to fill out and show how much he paid his certified minority contractor, which is me. He lied, perjured himself to the city of Dallas, and stated he paid me $52,000. He never paid me a dime. This is supposed to be a man. That's why I'm saying we're unpredictable. I lost my dump truck, my bobcat, and guess who else lost? Blacks lost jobs, indefinitely. I've not been able to regain that kind of momentum since '03, And so we just we just don't think, uh, I don't know, we have a devaluated uh, moral aptitude when it comes to business, it seems. We don't seem to we don't want to pay. I mean, I remember seeing RC Hall. Well, and and yeah. Andreas, before you go on, I just want to. First of all, I got to do a quick station ID. Uh, welcome okay. everyone to Our Own Voices Live. You're listening to your host Rodney Smith. My co-host Andrew Thomas will be joining us soon. Our topic today is Bush visits Las Vegas and is there a void in the black community? Our Own Voices Live comes to you every Saturday at 12:30 p.m. on the east on the west coast. That would be 3:30 p.m. for those of you. Uh, back east. Thank you for joining us. We have on the phone Andreas, who was sharing a story of how a minister he was doing business with had uh, basically caused his business harm and potentially caused financial harm to those in the community. Andreas, what I want to say to that is in business, there are people of, well, who conduct themselves poorly regardless of race. As I mentioned earlier, we are still trying to rebound from the housing uh, bubble, which caused uh-huh. an overall financial crisis in this country. Uh, uh-huh. We have Bernie Madoff that is still in jail after yep. defrauding billions of dollars. Billions. Oh, yeah. Billions of dollars. Uh-huh. Now, we have uh, uh, these houses, bad loans, that were given by bankers, predominantly white, uh, mm-hmm. banks, all owned by whites. Yep. And I, I guess what I don't see is I don't see the balance. You say one preacher, and then you extrapolated that to all black people, and therefore that's why whites or other people may not want to do this, and it makes us look bad. But if we look at the impact, that the housing industry has had on not, not just black people, but this whole country and maybe yeah. even reverberated out to the rest of the world, that was actually done at the hands of white people. And I guess 
Not my true. question to you is, why don't you say those same things about white people who've inflicted harm on millions, tens of millions of people, but you reserve that, and because of this one particular situation that you had. I, that you know, I, I, I probably, no, no, Rodney, you know, you're right, and I probably do it because I personally have been stung, and I didn't, you know, when I entered into that contract with the first black, black contract, he's an engineer in 97, I was excited, Rodney, I mean, because he had won a big job for the city of Dallas to do sidewalks, and it had been definitely, it was going to be a long contract if he would have, you know, kept the scruples, but um, I um, I was excited because the previous year, a company that I worked for, I participated as an administrator of four contracts with the city of Dallas, so I knew numbers, I had accounts set up, I had concrete accounts, I had supply accounts, I had eight subcontractors, I hired eight, and in two months, I billed out, uh, black, uh, the, the black engineer for $268,000, and he only paid me $48,000. And see, I went into that contract with the old notion, working together for the common cause. And I was thinking, all right, we're going to show society, the blacks, we can do it. We can work together and make an impact on, on the environment, on the on the society. No, no. I, I got I to just uh, rebuke right there. Bam, a slam dunk. Boom, you're wrong. You know, it just doesn't. And it's just, it, it just it's almost like it's a demon of pride. You don't want to own up to you I try to work something out with him I said hey I'll take a cut in these drop approaches that you need to pay me for you know, but he didn't want to work with me I mean he, this guy's in his 50s I'm 29 at the time and I've got maxed out credit cards <laughs> and, and I'm thinking about Andreas we do have some other callers so, and I, I want you to get your point out but I, I, I do want you to consider what you're saying and how you're saying it and, and what it means because you had a business deal with one individual that has colored your outlook, and I use that word no, perfectly. Two, two of them. No, two. Oh, two. Okay. The one in 97, I don't know, three. That colored your outlook on all people. Now, let me show you what would happen if I did what you did, okay? Okay. So I was growing up in North Carolina, and I saw the Klan, and they had their hoods on, and they were making a bunch of noise, and it was dark, and they lit up a cross. And they said a whole bunch of bad things about black people. Now, mind you, my family has been landowners in this country since 1880. We still have the land. We still farm the land. And they were trying to run us off of our land, but we wouldn't go. Now, I could use that as an example to say that all white people are bad and all white people are violent. When mm-hmm. I was in, when I was in about, I was in high school, and I went to one of the best high schools in New York City. So I wasn't the thug. Mm-hmm. And in this high school, it was a majority white school. As a matter of fact, they didn't want me in there, but I got a high enough score that proved my worthiness to be into this school. But while um, I was well, in yeah. this school, walking down the sidewalk after class, mm-hmm. the police pulled in front of me. They grabbed my schoolmate. They pulled him into the police car. Now, mind you, we just got out of class. Was he one white was or black? Side, he was black. One was on uh-huh. one side, one was on the other. And uh-huh. they grabbed him, 
by his his collars, and they commenced to bouncing his head off of the roof of the police car. And then if they would pull him down into the seat, they would use that momentum to bounce his head back on the roof of that police car. And they did that several times. We're all trying to figure out what's going on. Literally, we just walked out of class. And then they pushed him out of the car. And when they pushed him out of the car, they said, let that be a lesson to you just in case you were thinking about doing something wrong. Let wow. that be a lesson to you about the lesson is sixties, sixties or sixty years old. So in the sixties, uh, when that happened, uh, early seventies. So, but early but 70s. I want you to think about that though. Is that yeah. if I allow both of those incidents to say that all white people are bad and we should be afraid of all white people? Oh, let me give you another incident. I was in the military in California. Uh-huh. Many people may uh-huh. not know that California had the most most Jim Crow laws of any state in the Union. No, were you were you in the ar- were you in the army? Were you army I or was Navy? In the Air Force. In the Air Force. Yeah, okay. okay. I'm driving uh-huh. down Cajon Pass in California on Highway 15, just at uh-huh. the crest of the hill, and guess what I see on the side of the road? Clan members burning a cross. Clan uh-huh. members burning a cross with racial epithet. I remember having my CB radio because me and a buddy of mine, we liked CDs back in the day. You, you remember Smokey and the Bandit, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have our CBs on. He and I are talking and we're using the proper vernacular for the CB. And mm-hmm. what I hear was those in, what are you doing on our band? Now, we're on 19, so that's not anyone's specific band. Mm-hmm. That's what I hear. Now, I could have said, like, what similar to what you're saying, that these things that I see, these things that are done to me, therefore all white people are bad. And I could go on with more, but I want to leave you with I don't know. I don't think, oh, no, Lee, I remember my employees. I mean, Will Walker. And, 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 uh, let me he, leave you just with, let me just yeah, leave you okay. with one more. My mother bought my brother and I, this was back in the 60s when the Maxi Coats, you know, Shaft had them, when the Maxi Coats were in style. She bought my brother uh-huh. and I each a Maxi coat. And she bought each of us a football coat. And uh-huh. because she would always buy it a size larger than we were, so that, you know, we would have room to grow in it. That's how she yeah, was you grow it. Yeah. So uh-huh. I go to a store called Abraham and Strauss, A&S, in downtown Brooklyn. My brother uh-huh. and I, with my mother. Uh-huh. My mother says, hey, guys. I'm going to go look at this over here. If you guys want to go look at something, feel free to do so, but just don't leave this area. And we say, yes, Mom. She goes to look at the stuff she's looking for. We go to look at the stuff we're looking for. The security guards see my brother and I with these new coats on. One of us has a football jacket on. The other has a maxi coat on. The white security Uh guard comes up to us and says, where do we get these coats from? And we say, oh, well, our mother bought us this just the other day. And he says, no, you stole it. Tell me the truth. And we say, no, our mother bought it for us just the other day. She uh-huh. stopped. This is where she normally shops. So you know uh-huh. what they did? They grabbed they... my brother and I. They took us into the back room. They called the police. The police came. They handcuffed my brother and I. 
And mm-hmm. then they commenced to walking around us with their billy club, threatening to hit us if we do not confess to stealing the coat, the coat and the jacket. I, my brother says he's older. Hey, my mom is right in whatever the section it was. You can go ask her. She just bought this the other day. Mm-hmm. They say, no, yeah. your mom is not here and blah, blah, blah. And a long story short, they terrorized my brother and I to the point that eventually my brother broke down. No, he never confessed to doing something that we didn't do, mm-hmm. but it mentally broke him down. Yeah. And eventually my mother, who was only going to be gone for about 10 minutes, was looking mm-hmm. for us and says, oh, well, they got your son. And she went back and she got us. Now, if I use those incidents to say, therefore, this is why we should be afraid of White, yeah, but that that was that was years of forty. That's forty years ago. That that was what he had. He, what we don't want to concede to is just like computers have evolved the last twenty, thirty years, and, and I mean just amazingly, and the same way the hearts of white people, their stance against blacks has changed precipitously the last twenty to thirty years. If we don't concede to that, if we don't embrace that, instead of villainizing and saying, "Well, let's go back to the slavery. Look at we got tortured. We got look at how many people they hung." And if we go back to that, you know, then we're never gonna we're never gonna be able to embrace where we are today. We're in a place right now where you can get on a plane and go all the way across the world, and then you can come back. And when you come back from your vacation or vacation or or your um, your uh, you're basically your your, your mission your, trip, your mission trip, and then, then you come back, Andreas, and then when you. When did your yeah? mission happen? When, when did your? You said you had an issue with someone who defrauded you and caused harm to your company. How many years yeah. ago was that? How many years? That ago? was that was eleven years ago. That so if eleven years ago still impacts you today. It does, because I don't have then my equipment. Why couldn't something that happened to me and my brother in our lifetime, we're not talking about slavery. I was in service, yeah. and I saw those crosses burned yeah. in the 80s. Uh, and then in the 90s, we had another cross burning incident right here where I am now. So you say that these things happen. We don't have to go back to slavery. We don't have to go back to that. I don't have to go back to slavery. I'm talking about okay. things that happened in my lifetime, and I'm talking about things that happened in the last couple of decades. Yeah. If the things that happened to you can be just as relevant and impact you over a decade later, that would cause you to say that black people are unpredictable. Black people are difficult well, to I, I think with. I think we Why I think can't we have we a say the same thing about white people. I think we have a long way to go when it comes to embracing where we are today. I, I think I really, really do. I think, you know, we like to coin the old phrase, phrase, we've come a long way, but we got a long way to go. No, I think we, I think we as a people, as African-Americans, have a ways to go because I think the white people have put down the gloves for the most part, for the most part. I mean, not, not all of them. There's still racists out there, but I mean, it's mainly biased. Oh, say because that again. Of what Hold we, on. Hold on. We got to get this on record. Did Andreas just say that there are still racists out there? Yeah, of course, white white racists. And that yeah. wasn't and that wasn't a slip. You actually mean that? <laughs> Delete that, Rodney. Rodney, <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, no, I said it. No, I, I said it. They're out there, but it's just there's there's so. And you, do you know that in the most seventy to eighty percent of whites detest other racists? They don't like racist whites coming around. 
try to belittle blacks. They don't like it. I mean, that's something you have to think about. I mean, these these people are standing up for for it's political correctness, yes, but it's a good kind of political correctness. You like the bad guy too. Andres, you stated some some facts, some documents early, and you said that blacks kill more blacks and blacks commit more more murder. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You said that. Well, let me give you another fact, and this is a scientific fact. Mm-hmm. 88% of white people, regardless of party, regardless of age, 88% of white people have bias towards black people. 88%. Have bi- are they biased, you said? 88% of white people are biased towards black people. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. So let's, I just want to make sure that we have a conversation in the entirety of what we're talking and not talk about specific incidents, because if we talk about specific incidents, it's very easy to color something from whatever our experience is, which may not be the general experience when we look at this from the macro versus the micro. Hey, Andreas, I appreciate your call, but, uh, you know, it's actually supposed to be a short show today because one of the other topics is I wanted to talk about (laughs) is there a void of leadership in the black community? And I also want to get a little bit more into Jeb Bush's visit to North Las Mm -hmm. Vegas to do African-American outreach when the people that he invited were white people. Yeah, African American yeah. outreach. Well, I'm gonna say this, uh, and I'll get off the phone. But I, I believe there's a void in the blacks. There's no really good black leadership. We can't we can't revert to Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson as, as our leaders. So really, the hypocrisy is too transparent. But I, I think we need to have somebody else. I, I don't know who it is. Uh, you know who would be good? Colin Powell. But he's he's just in the timeline. He's just he's living his. I'm sure he's living his uh, pension and. Enjoying the rest of his life and in seclusion and quietness, I guess. Well, I'll get off the phone there, Rodney, and it's good talking to you again, okay? God bless you. You have a good day, okay? Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for calling in, and I look forward to the next time. Have a good day. All right, sir. Bye-bye. All right. That was Andreas, and he had some strong opinions on one side of the discussion. But ultimately, he did say that white people, he acknowledged that there are white people who are racist. I don't think that the concept is that all of anything, but there's all black people, all white people, all Jews, all Germans, all anyone. But I do believe we have to be honest with what we do know. And we do know that there are things that happen in the black community that happen to us by the people in power that do not happen to them or that they don't do to themselves. Whether it's Tamir Rice, who the cops pulled up and shot within seconds without uttering a word to him, whether it's the gentleman who lost his life in Cincinnati who was pulled over for a minor traffic violation, and not only was he shot, but the police officer who shot him was wearing a video cam that recorded him shooting the person. And then after shooting the person, The car took off. The police officer then said that he shot shot the man because 
he was dragging him. And then he had two other police officers. Two other police officers collaborate his false story. What is it in them that even though they were recorded, would still shoot a person and then fabricate where I'm from, they call that telling a story, or lie about the incident. For years, the black community has been saying that this happened. You know, there was the gentleman in, I believe it was South Carolina. He had gotten stopped, and he took off running. And the police officer shot him in the back. And you see the police officer drop something. And then you see the police officer come back to get what he dropped. And then the story was how there was this confrontation. But remember, the man was shot in the back. But the police officer's initial story was how the man was beating him. Now, had there not been a bystander with a video camera, we may have never known that. This is part of that bias because when you are biased towards something, it impacts your behavior towards that whatever it is. And usually it is not in a good way. That 88% of white people who are biased towards black people, does it make more sense when you realize that regardless of who's in the White House, who's in the State House, whatever unemployment is for white, it's twice that for black, regardless of who's in the White House. Jeb Bush came to visit North Las Vegas to do African-American outreach. Now, I posted some pictures, and the reason why I posted those pictures is because I wanted you to get an idea of who was in the audience. The audience was over 80%, and I believe from his own people, over 84% white. But he was in a black community doing outreach to black and other minorities. Odd about that to you? 347-826-9600. I see my homegirl, Mrs. Thomas, is listening in. Uh, Hopefully she'll come into the show shortly. There is, and let's think about this. Now, on the flip side of it, we had Jeb Bush as a Republican, come to the community. Now, that does not happen often, and I had my hopes up. But when you Now, there was about 210 chairs. They sent out about 200 invites. Of those 200 invites, over 80% of them were to their constituency, which were Republicans and white people. And the people that they got were representatives of the invites that they sent out. As a matter of fact, even if more black people had come out, there was no room for them. Three four seven eight two six nine six zero zero. Press option one to talk. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Hey, Angela, welcome to the show. Hey, Rodney, thanks a lot. Uh, you know, I put while you were talking to our guest today, I put into my Google search cop testimony, hoping to pull up the testimony of the officer that was featured on uh, last night's evening news hoping to, to, to catch that case. But it's interesting to me that there are many cases going on right now uh, where cops 
are under charges for doing various illegal things. Uh, there's a case in Philly going on right now where undercover cops, uh, they call it colorful testimony, where they compared themselves to the police officers in training day o- over beers after, after they would do their various deeds, big drug deals and things of that nature. In my hometown, Chicago, we have four cops charged with lying under oath after video of drug busts is shown. It's a lot going on that isn't making the evening news. This isn't what I was uh, trying to pull up, but, you know, it was an interesting conversation you and the guests were having. It was just interesting to me that some of today's cases came up. Well, I, I think that sometimes folks, because of their politics, have blinders on to all of the things that are around them that they may not have a particular focus on. And oftentimes we hear black people as identified as violent, excessively violent, violent more than other groups. And when you look at the violence of other groups unto other groups, you see that other groups harm and commit crimes against themselves roughly at the same rate as blacks. Now, according to to statistics, and that's what he uses, he used facts, there's very little difference in the rate of crime of one group unto themselves versus another. So it is somewhat of a myth, or as Dr. King would say, an ugly lie, that black people are violent as if to say that the rest of the folks that make up America are not. And then I wanted to, I don't know if you heard the analogy I gave him of what's happened with the movie, Straight Out of Compton. Straight Out of Compton, right here at Aliante, I believe it's Aliante Movie Theater, had cops there, police officers, law enforcement, checking people's bags as they came into the theater yeah. to make sure that I they went- didn't have. Go ahead. Absolutely. I went to see Straight Outta Compton yesterday, called myself getting there before, you know, the evening crowd got there. And absolutely, I was at the cannery over here on Craig and Losey, and police officers are on duty. But, you know, I expected it because I, you know, being a film student, I still read my industry trade papers and the variety put in there that Universal Studios had been uh, – had paid extra money to uh, theater-owning chain chain owners of of theaters to provide security for uh, this this movie, which is interesting to me because the films that have had the shooting were general, what is called general market films. They were films featuring white people, about white people, focused on the white audience. It was not... They they have not been urban films. I think the folks that are interested in seeing uh, the NWA biopic are not the problem. Well, we do know that uh, I, I don't remember recall his first name, but the Colorado, uh, I believe Colorado Springs or or Aurora, Colorado shooter, uh, that the movie theater shooter in Colorado, uh, Holmes, the white man, the Virginia Tech, uh, the <laughs> Shooter, I think there was two shootings uh, in Colorado. Uh, there was Holmes a couple of years ago. There was uh, another pers- white person just a couple of weeks ago. And then, of course, we had the shooting, I believe, down in South Carolina, which was also done 
by a white person. And at none of those theaters did we see all of a sudden law enforcement posted. And since then, when movies that were released, we did not see law enforcement posted or law enforcement paid for by movie theaters of their new releases because of a fear that there would be this further shooting. And that goes back to the bias, that that 88% bias. Now, I believe Straight Outta Compton made like $50 million in the first six hours of this opening, which is huge. I'm looking to find out if that's yeah. some type of record. And because that probably is. It, it has to be because I was predicting that they would do a $55 million weekend. Unbeknownst to me that Thursday was an early screening process, and they had already made $25 million on Thursday. So the movie is making a lot of money, but because it's something associated with black people, therefore there's this certain response to it. One of the other things I wanted I pointed out to Andreas was the amount of people who have been hurt by the housing bubble that caused a financial crisis and ripple effect not only through this country but literally through the world that we have not fully recovered from. And that was caused by white Absolutely. people. Absolutely, and I encourage everyone to check out H, check out HBO's new new series on the history of housing discrimination. It's uh, it deals with the history of of housing discrimination on HBO. Just started, uh, will start this week, and it's going to be very interesting. And it, it will, I hope, spark some very powerful dialogue. Thing, Rodney, how long we've been enduring housing discrimination and various forms from my city with the redlining, Chicago with the redlining and uh you know, uh the the rooming housing, the the, the housing the the what is the housing call where everyone was renting a room in one space. That was very prevalent. Boarding houses. Boarding houses. Boarding houses. Uh very prevalent in Chicago. A lot of the apartments, if you go into buildings uh, in Chicago right now, a lot of the West Side buildings uh, still have these, like, double doorways. And you're like, wow, it's weird right here. What? It just looks like there used to be a kitchen in the middle of the the between the first floor and the second floor. It, it, it's very odd. Uh, the way that things are set up and a lot of the rooms have uh, pocket doors. You know, you could tell that these houses have been sectioned off and had, you know, been filled with with various families for a very long time. It it still uh, resonates with that history even to this day. Well, on today's show, what I wanted to talk about actually was, well, we had two topics. We had Jeb Bush visiting Las, North Las Vegas, and which led to a question, is, is there a void of leadership in the black community? And the way Jeb Bush sort of led me to this question was there was a Black Lives Matter at the end or uh, after his, his comments, his town hall meeting. And I posted some pictures of the protesters and there was 
just a couple of black people in the pictures, literally just a couple of black people. And there was people who were in union shirts. national church. news. Yeah. That's right, and it made national news as Black Lives Matter. And it made me wonder, are we at such a point in our community where that anyone or any other group can say that they represent us, get national news, and in the process use our cause to bolster their own, whether it's a union cause, which, yes, just black people in unions, but unions have specific issues. Is it immigration? And, yes, immigration is a cause, but immigration tends not to be something that is on the black agenda, so to speak. And these folks who are talking about immigration, it's usually in reference to someone other than us. But when they stand in for us and protest or get attention, one, what does that do to our credibility when we actually have a group of us that want to protest something? And two, have we given up to such a point that we allow anyone come in and you take our cause, adopt our cause, use our cause for their own benefit. Now, I'm not saying that this particular group didn't have an interest in the Black Lives Matter movement. Not saying that at all. But what, I'm at, what I am saying, and it is clear by the T-shirts that the group was wearing, that they represented other activities. And where is the leadership in the black community? Where are the black organizations? Oftentimes people say, well, Rodney, where's the NAACP? And then I'll ask them, are you a member of the NAACP? Now, in the yeah, that's my question the, always. Now, as I'm asking them, always. are they a member, I don't want to let the NAACP off of what could be a leadership role that they could play even if it was to help other people organize groups that have a more specific interest in whatever it is, whereas the NAACP may have a focus over here. They are our oldest and most renowned civil rights organization, and this Black Lives Matter is talking about a civil rights, and it is talking about something that the NAACP historically has been involved in. It's all important information, all important questions that we we have got to, in this era of race appropriation, <laughs> we really got to get down to the things that are important to uh, our group and what we want to do about them, absolutely. You know, when uh, Governor Bush was here and he came to our community, and he came for African-American outreach. But he brought the majority of his audience with him who were white people and were white Republicans. Can't look, can't, can't look bad on the evening news now, can we? We can't look like well, we can't pack the room, can we? True. Now, mind you, he came to a Las Vegas Urban League facility. Uh-huh. Now, was this a uh, a photo op, a video op, to say, look, hey, I did outreach to them. Look, 
hey, I'm courageous because I, I came to the black community. Well, at, on the first blush, that's what I was thinking. But then once I saw the audience, and, and they got there early. So once I saw the audience, there was no room for any black people. And maybe it was just bad planning on his part or his local team's part or national team's part, and that couldn't be the case. But let's hope that they have learned their lesson, and just as importantly, let us hope that we have learned the lesson on this, is that when people come to our community to use us as a prop, how should we respond to that? Should we allow them to do that? Do we have any power not to allow them to do that? Have we become so impotent that we are a tool that other people use for their own causes, whether it's a candidate running for office or whether it's groups who have their own agenda but then represent themselves as use our agenda as a stepping stone to their own goals? 347-826. 9600-347-826-9600. Press option one if you'd like to talk and chime in on this. Is where is there a void of leadership in the African-American community? And what did you think about Jeb Bush visiting and the optics of seeing him in the black community standing behind a majority white crowd or standing in front of a majority white crowd? Well, I the camera person, a film person, a building person, I always know that the camera is facing the person that you're there to see. So in the annals of history, it's only going to show pictures of Jeb Bush standing at a podium. It, it could be a podium on Mars, for all we know, but it's going to list in very fine print below it the Las Vegas Pearson Center. And people are going to make assumptions based off of the demographics of the Las Vegas Pearson Center. And he can officially, technically say, I, I did, this is my African-American outreach. And the numbers are the numbers, Rodney. Remember, history is not going to necessarily uh, reflect uh, the individuals that were actually in that room. And whether it was packed with African-Americans or other Americans is not going to be highlighted any annals of history as far as what the film will show. Um, what I think about Jeb Bush coming to our community, uh, initiating a dialogue with the African-American community, I think of it as an opportunity for us, us being the African-American community, if we wanted to really have a substantive discussion about how we want to be treated, what we would like to see in our next president of the United States of America, because, you know, we've had eight years of Mr. Obama and uh, Mrs. Obama, and, you know, they've done what they've done, but we still are going to, you know, live in this great experiment called the United States of America from, from now on. If we never see another black president, we still have to be focused on the fact that we have to choose part, uh, be involved in picking who we want to uh, lead and, and what our expectations are. So, you know, if the engagement is low, it's early. We got time to, to get in and have a real conversation if we want. 
if he's interested in talking to us, why aren't we? My question is, why aren't we interested in in talking to him? Or does that rule well, being lightly splattered, lightly sprinkled with African Americans? Is that a is that a, a reflection of us not wanting to have a conversation? Well, Angela, I think that there's there's a whole bunch of answers to that because one is they the the uh, the campaign is the one who took care of the media for the event. And they did not send one piece of marketing material to black media here in Las Vegas or North Las Vegas. As a matter of fact, they didn't send one piece of advertising material to any black in the state. So, if you're shooting for a target audience and you send the invite to everyone <laughs> but the target audience and the target audience doesn't show up, then you have to ask yourself, one, was what we thought the target audience was really the target audience? And if you right. if they send the invite to their constituency, which is majority Republican, right? That's and majority white, and majority white and Republicans show up, then you got who you invited. So, well, as my grandfather would say, is this for show or for show? <laughs> hey, I like that one. I may have to use that. <laughs> so, so again, the Jeff Bush visits. North Las Vegas, the African-American and minority outreach. There's very few blacks there. There's only so many chairs in the facility for guests. And those chairs were filled by the people who the invite was sent directly to, which is logical. So even if more black people had shown up, Assuming that they found out Because that's part of the situation They have to find out, right? See, I can go and have an event right, right now and tell, and tell no one Except the people that Hey, Angela, I'm going to have an event Come on over All and right. then after you come over Tell everyone, hey You know, we did this I did this event But the people didn't show up Only I sent out invites <laughs> Yeah, I sent out yeah. invites Well, that's not that's not accurate. Not accurate. It's not fair. Now the question then comes back to us as black people and community. This campaign they have over a year. Would we allow this to happen again? Because we have others who are coming. Would we allow that this here. to happen again? We got we got folks that well, are here today. Ben Carson is here today. Was here this morning. He's here all day. Uh, Rubio is here. I think we have three cat three of the Republican can- candidates here today. So you're right. If the party wants to to talk, and you know, if you're going by uh, general market news, they apparently want to talk to to two groups: women and African Americans. They keep mentioning it in the news cycle, at least. So we'll see. Well, Angela, we got another caller on the line. As I bring that caller on, and you're saying that they want to talk to women, 
it's kind of interesting that they wanted that uh, Jeff Bush wanted to have African American outreach, but he got a bunch of white folks. Well, suppose these people said they want to talk to women, but they only send the invites out to men. And then when it's a bunch of men that show up, they say, "Well, I guess the women just weren't interested." Don't that, want that's to talk. Sort of how, right. And good afternoon. You are now on Voices Live. With, I'm your host Rodney Smith with my co-host Mrs. Angela and Thomas. Thomas. Did you have a question or comment Welcome for us? Uh, have a comment. Excellent. Let's hear it. You got it. Uh, yes. Uh, my name is Aaron Gordon. I'm calling in kind of the two topics today in reference to Jeb's Bush visit and also the void and the, the leadership in here in the community in Las Vegas. Uh, concerning Jeb Bush's visit, uh, Angela just made a comment about, you know, other candidates that's in the Valley. One thing, one thing I will give Jeb Bush, he did put forth an effort to come into the black community. Uh, I'm not sure about the other candidates. Have they really put forth that effort to come into our community? Uh, as to how things went down the other day, it, it didn't go quite well, but from the African-American community, with this being a pivotal election for us, I think we have to step forward uh, we are in we are in the digital age. Information is out there. I think we have to step forward and start seeking these seeking information. Find this information. Seek these candidates out. It's almost like let's let's find them. Get in their face. Come to our community. Put them on the spot. Put the issues before them. The issues that are important to us. Don't let them run and hide from us. Let them know we are here. Our voice matters. Our vote matters. It's not a given that one particular candidate, by just because we're black, you're going to receive our vote. There's 16 candidates on the Republican side. Right now, there's three on the Democrat side. They all should be in our communities seeking our votes. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for calling. I appreciate that. Uh, one of the things that happened with this visit with Bush is they actually had 200, I believe, and 10 chairs there at the event. They sent their invites through Eventbrite, which meant that the only people who knew that there was the event there was people that they contacted and said go to Eventbrite. Now, they did later on put it on the local news media. They did send press release mm -hmm. out to the local news media. But if they knew what was going on here in Las Vegas, they would know that the local news media isn't where the majority of African Americans get the information from. Now, I'm not saying that they, whether they should or whether they shouldn't, but the burden is on the folks who are coming into the community saying that they are looking for us. And let's keep in mind they had 210 chairs there. They invited their constituency directly and early, and they only had so many tickets to give out. They gave out 200 tickets to their constituency. That left 10 free chairs 
there was about, what, four, six African-Americans that were actually there, and I don't know what party affiliation that they were. But just by design, there was no room for African-Americans to participate. Now, I'm going to say that that was a logistic snafu, benefit of the doubt, right? But again, Mm -hmm. as far as us, what do we do? And this is where it comes down to that leadership. What do we do? When do we have the powwow as a part of the African-American community to say, hey, this was an opportunity, regardless of how it was engineered, that may not have worked out to our benefit as good as it could have worked out to our benefit. And we have these folks that may want to engage with us. How can we be prepared the next time to disseminate the information, to ensure that the candidates disseminate the information to our news sources? We have KCEP 88.1. But so when they come to our center, the Urban League, the Community Center, and they say that as an example, they say that they want to have a town hall and do outreach to African-American community. Maybe a part of that discussion should be, oh, by the way, here is the contact information for our local radio station. Here is the contact information for our local media. So if you want to attract these people, this is what you should do. That was going to be my question. My next question is, how do we contact not only his campaign, but the campaign of any candidate that's coming here to our valley and say, when you come into this valley, we are here. You need to let us know that you're here. If you want our vote, because regardless of who becomes president, you are the president of the United States. You are the president of everyone in the United States. So, if you don't care, you know, not to be sarcastic, but at least act like you care. So they, their campaign needs to reach out to the community and say, we're going to be in your town. We would like to meet with you. This is where we want. What can we do? Where can we meet? Do you have a, do you have a location where we can meet with the people within your community? Not just Bush, anyone that comes in in. If they don't, let's go to the local news media. Hey, such and such candidate came into the Las Vegas Valley. We reached out to them. They refused to come into our community and talk to us. Eventually, that message will get out beyond the Las Vegas Valley. It will get out beyond Nevada. And once that message starts getting out, eventually they're going to take notice. How how do how do we start that process? I think that's I think that's I think something the, that we need to look at. The voting process is a two way avenue. They have a responsibility to reach out to us, and we as voters need to take ownership of our vote and go out and seek information that will inform your vote. So, for instance. Both parties have an offer. If you're interested in receiving materials and information on, on you know, from all of the candidates, all 19 of the candidates, register mm-hmm. your, your name and your email with the Democratic office as well as the Republican office, and see do you see a change in the in the uh, exchange of information. You know, if if that's the goal to to get the information and know 
who's in our community and when they're going to be in our community. Register on their mailing list. Go to their web, like you said at the top of your comments. We have the uh, the the internet. It's a simple process to go to, you know, the Republican uh, main site and put your email in and, and receive that information. I agree with you, Aaron. You know, they should want to talk to of how confront how early it is and how confrontational we seem to already be. So, you know, do your due diligence, everybody, and, and, and let's be as proactive in getting the information as we encourage them to be uh, to come talk to us. You you just made a good comment about uh, we're, we're early in, in the election process, and what, what I saw on the news the other night uh, with the group, that from my from my perspective i i it was almost like they they bombarded Jeb Bush at the end, and you just made the comment uh confrontational uh in my opinion, I think that was the wrong way to do it uh I think we have to sit down on both sides and we have to have uh an intelligent dialogue if if there's a message that we want to get out. That. To each each one of these candidates, we have to be able to deliver our message in a positive and in intellectual way. Um, once you get a lot of people in a room, start yelling and screaming. I mean, yeah, you're saying something, but who's really hearing you? No one. We we have mm. to find out what's what's behind all of this yelling and screaming. I mean, the only thing you're doing, you're losing your voice. And then how are we portrayed in the media? And, and it, it's, it's reflected it's back on us in, in a negative way. It's, it's very important on how we deliver our message, especially if there's something important that we have to say. It doesn't matter how important it is. If you can't deliver your message uh, – in a positive way, it's almost like you're not saying anything. So and I, I think that's that's something we need to look at very hard. The second part, uh, the void of leadership, I think that's something we really do need to take a very hard look at here in the Las Vegas Valley. We, we do have elected leaders in our community. At some point, they do have to step up and be vocal. They have to more so be visible in our community. We have a lot of issues uh, that's going on around the country. Very easily, these issues could happen here in this valley. If we wait until that spark is ignited, it's too late. They're not going to be able to stop it. It, It's going to be too late. Absolutely. Aaron, as of this week, People around the country and around the world right now believe that, you know, we must be having some sort of um, some sort of something because we have protesters here in, in our community that were uh, using the disruptive to 
let a uh, leading presidential candidate know that Black Lives Matter. So whether we have the, uh, you're absolutely right, is my point. We have to start um, being our own narrative, our own narrator here. Uh, Our community is, you know, kind of reflective of, I guess, a lot of communities in America right now. We, We haven't had any uh, of the occurrences that we are, we're all concerned about and the whole reason for Black Lives uh, Matter to exist. Now, we haven't had that directly affect us yet. And you're right, it's better to be proactive than reactive. Let, let's talk about now. that. Um, Aaron, let me, let me jump in one real quick because I, I just want to make sure that we do remember Stanley Gibson. Absolutely. And yes. Stanley Gibson yes. was a black Army veteran of the first Gulf War who was afflicted with PTSD. And Mr. Gibson called for help himself, yeah. That's and true, the police Ronnie. came, and they uh, walked up to Mr. Gibson's car that he was in, that he was surrounded by other police vehicles. He had no place to go. As a matter of fact, he couldn't even exit his vehicle. And a police officer fired on Mr. Gibson, Stanley Gibson, at point-blank range and pumped multiple shells in him, killing him on the spot. So we have that one. That... You know what? This week, this week we had. We I, I am remiss. You're right. Uh, this week we did have an occurrence where a young man was uh, killed. Uh, by police officers, and you know, I, I there there actually have been a few situations in the valley. My son had a a young friend who was uh, in the in Summerlin in someone's backyard, and he was shot to death here in uh, in Summerlin. And so you're right, you're you're absolutely right. And maybe. What we should, you know, those incidents, they come and they go. But, again, it's sort of like what we're talking about with Andreas is we're not supposed to forget. And the reason why we're not supposed to forget is because we're supposed to put things in place so that it doesn't happen again. And that goes back to that leadership Shaking. and that leadership void, that leadership vacuum. Where is that leadership that will help galvanize us and organize us? And I know some people say, well, we should all do that. Well, yes, maybe we should all of it. But there's a lot of we we shouldn't overeat, but oftentimes we do. So we don't always do what we're supposed to do. It oftentimes takes some type of, uh, well, leader or leadership that helps direct us to where we go. I often use the military as an example. We don't spend a bunch of money for leaders in the military for nothing. They have a goal to make sure that things move in the direction that the Secretary of Defense has governed to him by the President of the United States in the direction he wants it to go. Well, humans are no different. That's why we have CEOs of, and presidents of corporations. We call them captains of industry. How many companies do you know that don't have a president or a CEO? I'm going to venture to say you know none. Rhetorical question. Our community, who is it? Who are they that are the leaders so that who is making sure that what happened with Jeb Bush doesn't happen with Jeb Bush in the future or with these other candidates? Who is actually reaching out to the other candidates to get them to come to the community? 
So, yes, you're right. There is work that we have to do. It's just a matter of who's going to do that work. Oh, you're you're absolutely right. And the work, it's, it's not like these things are going away. Now, right now, Angela's right, we don't have the issues that other places are having. But let's face it, those other places didn't have the issues that they were having until they started having them. And it might go well, away. It's kind of hard to say that we, I wouldn't necessarily say that we don't have them. I, I, I would say that they just haven't reached that that level of intensity yet. They they haven't been brought to Honestly, the to thing that's dividing that's dividing us and the rest of the communities is that it hasn't been couched in the media. The death that we are uh experiencing in Las Vegas hasn't been uh portrayed in the manner in which you know, it hasn't been as blatant or our media here has been um, positioning the stories in a different way. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. Getting close to the end of our show, which I had actually billed to be a short show today because we have Queen of Four that is in town, and I really wanted to get over to the West uh, Las Vegas Art Center to meet her and to actually purchase one of her books. Aaron, if you can, I want you to stay on the line because we have another brother that's on the line. Uh, this is NCK, and he has a comment for us. Go ahead, brother NCK. I think um, the one thing that's at least uh, missing from the dialogue that I did not hear, even the, the, the little bit that I've heard, is the reason that we are receiving the lack of respect is due to the lack of economic togetherness the economic power. There's no punitive damage for the actions that uh, politicians take against us. So when you don't have that, then you garner disrespect, whether it's perceived or not. So I think that that's the, the, the piece that really, when you're during this election cycle, that should be the mantra for all the political leaders. If we're going to, if we're going to hold our leaders accountable, it should start with economics. Because we're electing you to take care of our best interests, not the interests of the dominant society. So when you represent a, your core constituency, which is African-Americans, then you should understand that if you do not represent our best interests, there will be a punitive effect. That's what happens in the Jewish community. That's what happens in the Hispanic community. That's what happens in the Asian community. They look after their own. We are the only community that allows for everybody else to come in and and pick at the bone of economic wealth that lay on the ground of our community. That's just my humble opinion. I could be absolutely wrong, but the numbers, I think, bear that out. That's why you have individuals being shot at the rate that they're being shot, because there's no punitive effect for shooting an African-American man or woman. So, Brother NCK, That's my own let's just say That's my that... Brother CK, let's say that you are correct. So let's just yes, let's sir. travel down that let's travel down that, that road for a minute. How okay. do we get how do we get to that point where we can flex that economic muscle and have the desired impact that you mentioned? I think it starts well 
for me, I, 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 my whole thought process is that it starts in your childhood. If you think about the Jewish community, all of the friends that I had growing up that were Jewish, it starts there. It starts in the schools that are a few blocks from their houses, that the money that you spend should be with somebody that, that is of the same faith as you first. That is, and I've sat, I've sat and listened and heard the stated, but we do not say that. And we punish each other for possibly the lack of business etiquette that might be present. And it's reinforced through the television. If, you don't, if, if, if we don't control our, the, our own paradigm, what's being presented to us, adults and children, then you, ha- then you have a, a systematic brainwashing that takes effect, and then it takes on a life of its own. This is an, the, the, the problem that you're talking about is a multivariable problem. It's like an algebra problem or a quantum physics problem. It has multiple variables to it, and you have to look at it as such. It, there's no one answer that fits all. There are multiple variables and multiple answers. But we have to be dedicated to stand fast next to each answer that we incorporate. That's the one thing that's missing. It's like we've lost our heart to fight. Okay. It's interesting that you mentioned lost our heart to fight because when they asked Donald mm-hmm. Trump about black people and some of the things that was going mm-hmm. on in the black community specifically, he said yeah. it's yeah. a lack of spirit. He said it's a lack of spirit. Yeah. And when he said that, but that's first, a conditioning. I, I paused but that's a, and I said, a lack of spirit? Wow, that's a, I never heard it put that way. And I said, is this Donald just being because Donald or is this something? No, no. Now, what you have to realize is that Trump has been around for a long, long time. So he's seen the transformation. He's been in the Mecca, which is New York City. So he's been up close and personal. His father and him have taken over lands that were sat upon by African Americans. So he understands what it looks like for to be fought and not to be fought. He's been around long enough to see the historical transformation take place. So that's why he can okay, comment brother. like that. And I agree with him wholeheartedly. I'm glad you said that, too. We're still traveling down this road together. You mentioned that there's some brainwashing that may have taken place. Yes, sir. So when you said that your Jewish folks that you knew, they basically were taught that as children. So that's how they were reared. In the African-American community, if we just follow your your course of thought here, if the African-American community has been brainwashed through media, and through the education yes, system, because you also mentioned education. And we Absolutely have not changed the education system, and we still not take in all, more sir. media than any other group in this country. And we're talking about, yes, remember, we, the, the topic was a void of leadership in the African-American community. Then it would seem yes, to sir. me that it would be unreasonable to expect a generation that has been brainwashed through school and media to do the things that you say. That would be my logical conclusion to that. So what I would ask you, my learned brother, is now that this has happened and we have, and I use the word void in the title, and we have this void, that opening, gap, space, gulf, how Mm -hmm. do we now institute that leadership where there is a void so that we can get to the point that you suggested would benefit us. 
Well, can I can I, we can, have I to come can I can I speak oh, up? Go ahead. Yes, sir. You, you was talking you was talking about the education part about the brainwashing. Yes, sir. We have to understand yes, that education is is a continual thing. It, it happens throughout life. A lot of people seem to think yes, that education starts and ends what eight forty five in the morning to three fifteen in the afternoon. Yes, uh, parents have to understand that education starts before and after school. By that I mean before the kids go to school, you have to check and see what homework they're doing, what their assignments are. When they come home in the afternoon, check and see what assignments they are. See what your kids are learning and sit down and talk to them. If there's something that you may think, okay, why, why are your children learning this? My, my, my mother would sit with us to 10, 11, sometimes 12 o'clock at night doing homework, yeah. especially if something that our teacher told us that, you know, yeah. was going to guide us kind of in the wrong way. We understood, yes, we had to do it this way because that was the yeah. curriculum that was going to help us to get the A's and the B's to get us through school. Yeah. But she also taught yeah. us, you know, this is what how it really is. You know, we, we have to continue the education. It's a lifelong process. We we, we have okay. to teach our children that, you know, just because, you know, the, the last school bell rings, that's that's not the end of mm-hmm. education day. Education is it's, okay. it's a lifelong process. Uh, you mentioned about the, the lost spirit. I can, I can, I, I kind of, you can see that. You can go into our neighborhoods. You you can drive into can our I, neighborhoods I, and, and go ahead. I, I just wanted to interject on that point that you stated. You, you, I, I, I respect your, your perspective in that your, your mother sat with you up uh, till 11 or 12 at night. But I think we have to deal with the, I always say, when people speak in those type of tones, uh, I always mm-hmm. say we cannot talk. We can as it relates to us, we have to deal with the me, everything that surrounds the me. So when somebody says, well, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, no, you didn't. There are a number of factors that had to enter into that. That's like saying I, I, I don't have to pay taxes on the road that my car travels on. That's not the case. There are certain laws in a place that allow for you to attend school. And so I, I say all of that to, uh, to underscore the point that we have a whole, we have, I would say, about a generation and a half of children that are now adults that have been exposed to the drug epidemic that has been pushed into multiple urban communities. And so it's like people are afraid to address that this is the offshoot of that issue. And so it's like we keep getting lost in that and then want to act as if we are perceived that, that we should be equal with the dominant society and, and with one hand tied behind our back. That's, that's an unfair analysis. And so I, I, I want to state that so that, we, so that the, the dialogue is framed correctly, that I, li- I appreciate and respect that your mother sat with you, but for every for uh, every one mother that was like that, there are a uh, countless mothers that were un- unable to do that due to being on drugs. 
I understand that. I, I understand that. So how do we, so how, and that goes back to that void. Remember that, that big space, right? Mm-hmm. And Brother CK just yes, identified it as a gen, at least a generation. So we have a generation of yes, people sir. who didn't get what you received, Brother Aaron, from your mother. And yes. that generation yes. in adulthood, and they're actually starting to move into the seats of what should be power and leadership in our community. But it's yeah, what I think, yes. Oh, what, ahead, I, what I believe, and don't forget, procre- just, and don't forget, procreate. That's the most important thing. They are procreating, so that means they are repeating this process. This I process of, being, of have... not knowing and 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 being dumb. Go ahead. Aaron, I think what we have to have is stand up. We have to have, we have to have men stand up in our communities and be men. We have okay. to have not not just males, but men, real men. Okay. If, if, okay. If you, how are we defining how, how we defining that? How are we defining that? Because in our community, that 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 with what you speak of is being redefined through neuro linguistic oh. programming using the television. So okay, that being that's saying, true. That's and, true. But uh, but we know but we know what a man is. Men, we who, we who, men. Specify the we. We, we as men. That's why. The ones who, who, thank you. (laughs) The ones who are the men who are doing what they're supposed. Your responsibility. You're handling your responsibility. You're doing what you're supposed to do. No one has to run behind you and tell you what you should be doing. No one has to pat you on the back. Because to tell you, hey, I'm a good dad. No one should have to tell you that. If you are a father, you are a man, you should do that because guess what? That is inherent in you, and that's what you're supposed to do. No one should have to tell you that. And and like you said, yes, all of that is being redefined through the news media and all of that. And yes, we are we 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 are gonna see, we're gonna see we're going to see the results of that. And we are, we are seeing the results of that. And we think it's bad now. It's going to get worse. At some point in time, someone's really going to ask the question. We need men to stand up. And guess what? When that day comes, there's going to be no one to stand up. Well, the ones that do stand up, they're going to be, they're going to be the old men. They're going to be in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. They're going to be the one that's standing up. We, so we cannot that, go Aaron, ahead. That brings us. That sort of brings us back almost uh, three hundred sixty degrees to where we started. Yeah. From. We have a void. We're acknowledge. I think. I think all three of us, all four of us, have acknowledged that there is a void. My question is: Okay, right. it's great that we've acknowledged it. We got that on there. We can. We can put that check mark on the board. Void. You right. said mm-hmm. that if nothing is, you said we need men, not males, but men, as you define men, to stand up. Brother Enrique right. says, well, wait a minute. We got a generation of men who didn't get those things that would enable them to stand up. So if we have this void, Absolutely. this gap, this 
deficit deficiency of men, and it is their this is their space. They're the ones that's supposed to be filling this vacuum, but they are not equipped to fill that vacuum. And because they're not equipped, going to brother in CK's point, that they are procreating, and because they're procreating, that means that there will be even more of what we have in this generation in the following generation. Yes. Right? So yes. then if we follow that, yes. if we follow this road, this frame of logic, that means that things will be even worse and there will be a larger void. Exactly. One generation, there will be two generations. The question to, to and all that's what, on, and all that's what I'm, is how do we get how do we get to where we want to be knowing that there's a road, there's there's a, there's the river. We need to so there's a void between one side and the other. But we need to get okay. to the other side. How do we what is the bridge that gets us to that other side? May I may I may I intercede? May I intercede? Yes. By all means. Okay. Okay. I I I respect um what the gentleman was saying as it relates to males, the distinction between males and manhood. I agree with him wholeheartedly. The thing I want us to all understand is that the way a community is controlled, nine times out of ten, is it's economic. Remember, we live in the system of capitalism. So in the 60s, mm-hmm. when we traded our rights or when we traded our economics for perceived equality, that opened the door for a shift, an opportunity, a, 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 a cavern to, to be created within the family. Remember, families operate on economics. You know, when you talk about the Rothschilds, you talk about the DuPonts, the Vanderbilt. These are families first that operate on economics. So we have to be okay because we're living in the system of, of capitalism, that we have to return economics to the family. That's the focal point. I know that we love church and we love being spiritual, but if you take the money that the church has received over the last let's say 10 years, what would happen if the church as a collective, as a collective body, opened not one bank, but two banks? And each one of those banks, what they invested in were metals. Gold, silver is their focal point. As a, as a way of, 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 of putting loans into specifically urban communities targeting only us and supporting us. Do you know that that's what happens in the Asian community? You know that's what happens. I'm not saying anything that's that's necessarily rocket science. It's a commitment to it. It's galvanizing around a set of points, not a set of talking points. That was the, that was my reason for calling. Is that I feel like we're not we're not we're talking about politicians like we normally do. At every election cycle, we're talking about how we are not being addressed and how we're being marginalized and not being spoken to. Well, I would not speak to you either if I didn't respect you. You you have to think in terms of how do you react when somebody homeless walks past you and you know they're homeless. Are you is the first thought that enters your mind, oh I respect him. It is not. If we're gonna be honest with each other and speak honestly so that we are the the, the African American community, the proverbial homeless person on the street. You don't have a house. 
So how, how are you going to ask a dominant society, those that control the economic windfall of the country, to come and respect you? I think I, I, following logical thinking, that's not going to happen unless you have punitive action that can occur when you are not being spoken to. So, brothers and sisters, we have uh, about three minutes of the extended version of our show since we would normally have been gone uh, about 26 minutes ago, and we're going to have to wrap it up. Now, what I can do, because I do find the conversation interesting as well as stimulating, and when I initially came up with the concept, this was sort of to be the introduction to us having a continual discussion on this particular topic of a void of leadership. And I think that we will have another show, if not a special show, to talk about this void of leadership. Brother NCK says that this is generational and that basically there's a gap out there. Brother Gordon has talked about us getting more involved and that men need to, to, to step up. Well, both those points are valid, but then it's the question still remains is how do we get to that point? Brother CK says that, oh, it's about economics and you don't have respect. Well, here's the thing. Is Angela just mentioned that the the uh, Straight Outta Compton movie has grossed over $50 million, basically in its first mm-hmm. day of release. And I believe it's Ice Cube and uh, another brother that were the producers of that film. So they're, they're getting paid. We also know, and this is what Sister Angela tells me, she can articulate it more than me, that the the, the viewer for movies, the target audience. Cube, F. Gary, this, is a, this is a Cube Vision film. Um, uh, F. Gary Gray is the director. Will Packard, who has bought, brought us other history-making um, films as of late, uh, is one of the big producers. So is... Uh, you know, Ice Cube, and, you know, having sent his son to study him for two years before he put him before Universal to um, see if Universal would okay his son uh, portraying him. There's a lot of work went into it. So, that's, you know. So, so Angela, give us, and we got to make it quick here, but give us a little bit of background data on who goes to the movies. And what money is spent on those movies? African American is African American women, the leading demographic that goes to um, and, and spends the most dollars in the uh, American theater system. So, you know, that will be us. Okay, and also uh, my final point is going to be is that the African American community is suggested to spend or estimated to spend about $1.2 trillion. And what trillion I would say is that, that may not be equivalent to what white America is going to spend, but $1.2 trillion mm-hmm. is enough money that every other group, when they come to this country, they seek out the African-American community to start mm-hmm. businesses there or to target them for their own business to drain us of those African-American dollars, in this case, $1.2 trillion, which they then become wealthy and can move on up. 
So to say that we do not have the money, I don't know if that would be an accurate statement. It may be our utilization of the $1.2 trillion that we have that we can have a discussion on on how we can use that to improve our economic outlook and turn that potential financial uh, money into an actual flexion, into actual muscle to a financial gain and a political gain. And the reason why political and financial or economics work hand in hand is because back when laws were different from how they are now, they used the laws to take our land, take our other properties, and take our money, right? They used the law. When we, so even though we had a lot of money, they still used the law to take that money. So I don't think it's an either or. I do suggest that it is a both simultaneously and that we have to plug into both the economic potential that we have as well as the potential political clout that we don't necessarily exercise to its fullest extent. So my brother, my sister, look for another show, probably same topic, may drop out the Jeb Bush part and and just talk about the void in this community because whatever and however our state of being is, the law of physics says that it will remain unless there is basically a greater force exerted upon it to get it to move. And usually when we talk about it from the community, that is leadership. And where is that leadership? Who is that leadership? Will we even accept the leadership? Those are all areas that we can explore at a later date. So, Brother Aaron, Brother NCK, especially you, Brother NCK, being uh, one of our out-of-state listeners, thank you so much for taking your time not only to listen, but then to call in and have conversation, discussion with us on this topic. Hopefully you will continue to listen. And uh, we, everyone can always go to Our Own Voices uh, live on Facebook and drop some comments if you have more comments, and or you can wait for our next show on the same topic. Well, Angela, we are three minutes over, 30 minutes over, so why don't you go ahead and uh, close us out. Well, I just want to encourage everybody to be proactive, not reactive in this voting uh, process and this election cycle. If you want to know about the candidate, go on out there and find out about them. And then, you know, if you can, if they're coming to a town near you, go out and experience them personally. We all have an obligation uh, to this voting system that, that, that we have. It may not be perfect, but it is what we have, and it's been working pretty good so far, but we all got to do our part. So go out there and do that and have a great week. All right. Thank you so much. Talk to everyone later on the flip side. Bless you. All right. Thank you. Thank you.